Hey, welcome to the conversation. You're listening to Andy Mason, and this is authentic conversations around the messy intersection of faith, family, and business. And I've got a treat for you today. All the way from Indiana, I have with me two doctors who are also professors. So I have uh, Dr. Joshua and Dr. Candy Brown, and we're going to be talking about some of what they do, why they do it, how they do it as professionals in the medical industry, in the academic space, and they're seeing and documenting medical miracles. Uh, Joshua and Candy, it is so good to have you with me. Well, thanks so much. It's great to be here. So I'm not sure who goes first, but just tell me a little bit about who you are and what your role is right now, like what's what's your professional work, so we can just understand some of the background. So uh, I'm a professor of religious studies, but my uh, at Indiana University, uh, my work extends to look at uh, the growth of Pentecostal and charismatic Christianity on a global scale and the role that uh, physical and mental and emotional healing plays in that growth. And that sometimes involves doing uh, clinical research and partnering with medical doctors and other natural scientists. So good. So, Candy, your your PhD, your doctorate, what was that in? Uh, so it's in the history of American civilization or American studies with a religion focus. I love it. Okay. And Joshua, what, what about you? I'm a professor of psychological and brain sciences, and uh, I also direct a graduate program in neuroscience, and I run the cognitive control laboratory at uh, at the university here. Uh, my research focuses on the neural mechanisms of higher cognitive functions. So I do a combination of functional brain imaging, um, theoretical and computational neuroscience, and I also do studies of transcranial electrical stimulation as a potential treatments for addiction and also um, mechanisms for uh, pure science. So basically, I'm trying to figure out how the brain works and and using various uh, you know, methods to do that. I love it. So anybody you're listening to this, you can tell both of these two are high IQ, some of the language, like I can't repeat the words, but I want you to just hear that they are trained. They have gone through higher education. They're respected both in their fields in academia. And so before we just dive right into where it gets beautifully messy, um, what's your current, you, you're saying you're both at working at the same university, is that correct? That's correct. That is, yeah. We met when we were in graduate school. So I was at Harvard University and he was at Boston University. And now we've uh, made our home in Indiana. Okay. And then you've been working in 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 your profession, is it in academia for how long? Uh, Since the year 2000. Okay. So we're talking 20 plus years in academia. So uh, talk to me both about your, if we start with you, Candy, just up until we're about to hear about a miracle situation that you personally experienced, but as academics, as lover of Jesus, what was your walk with Jesus like before you experienced a personal miracle? So I grew up in a, a family that attended church, but there was a lot of physical and spiritual darkness in that. Uh, And 
my father died when I was young. So I really learned uh, to know God as my father. And then when I was in college, uh, I became involved in a campus ministry where I really kind of got to know Jesus as my friend. Uh, we then visited some charismatic revivals where I met the Holy Spirit. So I would say that I had uh, definitely like faith was important to me. Uh, but there was a kind of separation between uh, what I did at church and uh, trying to figure out how that worked into uh, my studies uh, in uh, history and in, in literature. And so uh, there, I, I had faith and I, I wrote about religion, but they weren't fully integrated. Yeah. Okay. And, and what about you, Joshua? Well, I grew up in the church. Uh... Well, you know, from the time I was little, and and so you know, I learned the Bible, and um, you know, sort of consider myself a Christian. But I think in in college, I sort of as I was wrestling with all the courses I was taking, and the professors saying, "Oh, you know, God's dead," and you know, here's what Nietzsche says, and uh, you know, and I started thinking, so why why do I believe what I believe, or do I believe it? And went through a period of sort of wrestling with that. And basically after reading a lot of apologetics work sort of uh, reconciled that, but then I thought, but if, if God's so powerful, wh where's the power? And so it was in that context that I spent a year studying abroad in the UK. And while I was there in, in 1994, the, the Toronto revival happened and all the Toronto revival people went over to the UK and had meetings in Edinburgh where I was. And so I walked in sort of, you know, sort of with a mix of fascination and horror looking at all this revival <laughs> phenomena going on and bodies all over the floor and people screaming and laughing and crying. And, and uh, you know, I knew nothing about it. I thought, you know, this, we never did this in the, the uh, conservative church I grew up in. Yeah. So, and and in the middle of all of that, God touched me very powerfully. It was unmistakable. And looking back, uh, you know, I think we would commonly describe it as a baptism of the Holy Spirit. But I had no idea what was happening, other than that I had this incredible sense of the presence of God and His love. And and so that sort of set me on a path that you know somehow or the other I'm, you know, I want to. Um, I'm definitely a Christian, but, you know, what What does that look like? And that was sort of a, a taste of, yeah, there is the power of God somewhere, but how does that work? And I, I really didn't know beyond that. I, I love this. I love what you were saying, Candy, is that, you know, you've grown, both of you come from, you know, a deep uh, religious or devoted, devoted families. But then this became personal for both of you. And I love that, you know, primarily around college and college campuses and then what was happening in Toronto. So this became real. I love that question. If God's so powerful, where is the power? Now, fast forward, uh, we met actually recently at a Ken Fish healing and deliverance conference where these two, I got to observe them casting out demons, healing the sick, hearing the voice of God, operating in the power to answer that very question, if God's so powerful, where's the power? So what I love is two academics, very, very smart, highly, highly trained in what they do, and they also operate in the power of God. And then just, you won't know this, if you listen to this, I got to meet and have a conversation with them. So also marked by great humility. So 
Uh, I understand there was a trigger event that happened that really spilled you both over into, oh my gosh, where's the power? We need it right now in our own lives. Tell us about that. Well, so in August of 2003, I went to bed one night and when I woke up in the morning, I found I was not in my own bed. I was in an ambulance and I'd had a seizure and uh, then uh, about four days later, uh, Candy gave birth to our first child. And oh, wow. so we were both in the hospital at the same time. Uh, me with a seizure and, and getting tests done and Candy with childbirth. And when our daughter was two and a half weeks old, we got the diagnosis that I had a brain tumor. And it's kind of ironic since I'm a neuroscientist. Um, I immediately realized that this was a really bad thing and that basically what I had, people don't survive more than a few years. And okay. so at that point, uh, we it's a long story, but we sort of desperately started looking for healing and miracles. And I, I figured, well, if God can touch people powerfully, like I saw in those revival meetings, then, you know, maybe he also does miracles, but I don't know, because I haven't seen one. And yeah, so that set us on a path of desperately looking to see if God still does miracles today. And if so, how can we get one? Yeah. <laughs> so Now, long and, and story short, yeah, that's that. That's the 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 really short version. I will just kind of throw in one piece of that, uh, which kind of gets us to how we met at the Ken Fish meeting. Uh, was that before this all happened, I had a dream in which I saw this evil face, heard an evil voice, and it said, "My name is such and such," and and gave this very unusual proper name, and and I'm going to kill you. Uh, and so the night of the medical diagnosis, so several weeks later, uh, I sensed that the Lord was telling me I needed to know that name for my dream. And so it turned out it was the name of the code book for a particular religious group. And we'd been interacting with someone with that group and then uh, going and praying about this. And so anyway, when I when I when I told that name to Josh, it literally launched him out of bed uh, turning somersaults all over our floor, um, fully conscious, uh, shouting no at me when I said this name, oh my God. Uh, being unable to say the name of Jesus, despite being a Christian and for that matter, a spirit baptized Christian. Yeah. And I'm here thinking there's no herd of pigs, don't want to demonize house cat. Uh, well, maybe there's some squirrels outside the door. So uh, that was really our crash course, not only in the ministry of healing, but also of deliverance. And so it was a really a five month long intense battle for the deliverance piece of this. Uh, and then really a, a full year uh, of pressing in for healing. All the while, we're getting training in uh, how to pray for healing and starting to see miracles right before our eyes. Man, I love this. So let me clarify that. So uh, Joshua wakes up in hospital with a tumor. And I mean, you, you know, he under, this is his space, is the brain. And this is a brain tumor. But you're saying prior to that, you'd had a dream. Was that, was that common for you to have dreams? Not at all. 
No, I mean, I can still, even to this day, really, I can count um, maybe on two hands, but at that point, definitely on one hand, the, the number of times I had any kind of a sense that I was hearing something spiritual. I did not grow up in a charismatic or Pentecostal church. And apart from the week I spent at Toronto, there was nothing. And so in addition to the this dream, though, even before that, I was just praying and sensed that the Lord was speaking to me that uh, I can't change the things that must happen. I can't stop them, uh, but I can choose uh, and we can choose whether to greet them with fear or with faith. And our life depends upon the answer to that. Uh, so I'd shared that piece with Josh and we didn't really know what to do with it because neither of us really had experience with this, but I didn't even tell him about the dream until after uh, the medical diagnosis. So this was very, very much out of the norm for, for me or for us. Oh, wow. And so, so you've done, you know, a decade maybe of academic training, you're working in academia and you've just entered Holy Spirit healing deliverance training 101, which is walking through it yourself. And I mean, I'm hearing this hunger in behind that, looking for the miracles. If God's the God of power, then where is the power? And then, and it's almost like the Lord is so kind to lead you and guide you saying, hey, some things are going to happen. Uh, you can't stop that, but how you, how you bear up under it, what you do under this, whether you operate out of fear or faith will determine the outcome. And so then you have this dream, and in the dream is effectively a name of a demonic spirit, but you've got no idea that this is that. And so then you share this with your husband, and he instantly manifests. So talk to the, was that scary? Was that uh, like Joshua? What was that like for you? Well, you know, when someone taps your kneecap and you your leg jerks a little bit, you you're fully conscious and you understand that there's a reflex going on but you can't really stop it and imagine now your whole body doing that that's what it was like I was fully conscious but it's like there's something else that's making my body do stuff and you know I don't make a habit of screaming at candy but for some reason when she said you know you spirit leave him and my head whipped around and screamed at her now uh it it's a very odd sensation because I was fully awake, fully conscious, had all my faculties about me. And I thought, this is very unusual. And I would have thought that a Christian couldn't have a demon, but seeing as how I'm here manifesting one, it seems hard to argue that as a point of theology. So, uh, and, and at that point, I thought, okay, somebody do something because I, you know, I need help here. <laughs> and, so, so, Candy, you're there. You're in bed, you're effectively praying without even like, I just love that he's a good shepherd and he's leading and guiding you. Were you afraid? And then what did you do next? Yeah, I mean, strangely, I wasn't. And I mean, I freak out if the traffic is bad or my laptop battery dies, right? Like I, a lot of very small things can get me very upset. Um, but I, I, I had a kind of, I would say, supernatural yeah. peace uh, throughout, throughout this entire process. Um, and I mean, I do remember very, very clearly that when he was unable to say the name of Jesus, uh, as we were praying there in that room, that I thought, you know, there is something in this room that is so palpably evil, that hates the name of Jesus, 
that if I ever had any doubts about God's reality, there's just, there's no way I can have that doubt because if the other one's real, then, then, then they both, yeah. uh, both have to be real. And, and there were moments in this process that was very long where, uh, I mean, I think that the enemy really wanted us to freak out. I mean, there was this very strange occurrence where uh, our very heavy front door swung open and this black cat literally walks into our house and is just sitting there. Uh, nothing like that had ever happened before or since. And yeah. I'm like, no, we're, we're not going to get freaked out <laughs> by things like that. And so, I mean, I think it was just the kindness of the Lord in guiding us and guiding us to just the right people at yeah at the right time to, to give us just enough encouragement to yeah. keep pressing in despite the difficulty of it all. Okay. So right now there's people listening to this podcast and they are starting to feel irritated, upset, disturbed on the inside. Now we're going to continue with this story, but uh, what would you say to those people? That God is good. And God is real and, and, and God loves you. So I would just speak kind of that piece, right? That, the, that you don't have to let these things uh, kind of get you, get you upset. Yeah, exactly. And we just even released the peace and the presence of God right now. It's fun. I'm loving this. Uh, I just feel the presence of God right now listening to this story. And I obviously know the outcome and know what happens in the process but we just released the peace of God. And if you're watching, listening to this right now, and you're feeling yourself like your spirit on the inside of you, jumping up and down in an unsettled way, we just speak peace, be still. And we just release the power of the name of Jesus over you who heals and sets free. So Candy, what you're now in the middle of a fight for your husband. Uh, there's a demonic oppression. And there is a sickness or a disease associated with that. God's already told you that. And you're desperate for a healing and you know nothing. So where do you go? And what would you say are the key resources or places where people could go to find the help that they need to get equipped to walk in what you walked in? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the first one is just the Bible, right? And I mean, there is there are so, so many good. just words of of promise there for us. And I mean, and so like we personally were were seeking after the Lord, but then we also were looking where is it that Jesus is being proclaimed with an expectation that that he actually is doing things today. Yeah. Uh, and without kind of drawing on spiritual help from sources other than the Holy Spirit. And yeah. I mean, that's a longer story, but partly how we got into the problem was we were we were looking for spiritual help apart from Jesus. And yeah. and that causes more problems than uh, than any good that yeah. you can can get from it. Um, so, I mean, I think th those are and, and, and we just not giving up in this process and. And there is like, I think you can go overboard in the sense of like always speaking positive things and positive confession. But I do think that there's a role for choosing to speak words of life because yeah. there is life and death in the power of the tongue. And so it was a, a decision to not speak out the, the fears and the unsettledness that that I felt and to just speak those words of faith and encouragement, even when I was very unsettled within. So, so what was this like for you, Joshua? You've got this tumor. Now you're like, whoa, this is confronting every theological belief that I have. 
uh, and you understand tumors. And so you're learning, and it's like you said, a five-month process. Uh, you're learning. Were you getting medical treatment as well for this tumor? Uh, yeah, of course. So I, I, uh, you know, had all sorts of tests done. I saw a neurologist. I consulted a neurosurgeon, and I was ready to get whatever medical treatment was appropriate. But in the end, the doctors told me that, um, you know, the, I mean, the latest literature reviews said, well, surgery, chemo, radiation, none of that really prolongs lifespan. The thing we would do next is a biopsy, but there's a chance that itself could kill you. So there isn't a whole lot to do medically. And the only thing they were doing then is just watching and waiting. So every three months I'd go back and have another MRI done and they'd, you know, look to see how, you know, how is it growing? And, and so in that, at that point I was desperate, you know, I'm, I'm looking at uh, being dead within a few years, you know, my newborn daughter, not having a father, Candy being widowed and me being dead. And I basically, after I saw that, you know, what, what seemed like demonic manifestations and I had seen the power of God at these revivals before. And I thought, okay, that's enough to go on. I don't know about miracles today, but I'm going to find out. And I'm going to basically put everything I can into getting healed. And I'm either going to get healed or I'm going to die trying. And that was yeah. literally my attitude. And so we traveled, I think in one three week period, we drove from like Missouri to Houston, to Chicago, to South Carolina, all going to all kinds of healing meetings with like yeah. a newborn in the back of the car for like 5,000 miles. Oh, wow. So we were that desperate. Yeah. And in the course of that, I, we went to, and I went to so many healing meetings, like pretty much every ministry you can think of, I visited them yeah. and I got prayed for, and I've had all these powerful experiences. And after three months, uh, they did another MRI and they said, well, the tumor is still there. It looks pretty bad. And so I said, I'm, I'm not going to give up. I'm just, there, there is no plan B. Yeah. Um, and so I kept going to meetings. I ended up traveling with different ministry groups. Uh, I saw uh, incredible miracles happen right in front of me, missing bones, growing back, all kinds wow. of blind people getting their eyesight. Now, are these miracles now through your own hand? Um, some of them I watched in front of me. and and But with, with some of these groups, I traveled with them. Like I went to Cuba, I went to Brazil, I've been to Uganda, I've been all over like Colombia and Nicaragua, Honduras, and like different countries. Uh, and in the course of that, I would go with these groups. They'd say, okay, you're part of the team now. You know, you, you start praying for people. And at first I was like, I don't know how that's supposed to work. You know, what about me? I need healing. And so, but I started praying for people and, and over time I saw, I think I remember the very first uh, time in Cuba, this was like early 2004 and there, we were in a church service and there was a woman there who couldn't see more than a couple of feet in front of her and a new friend and I started praying for her and she, boom, she could see clearly all the way across the church building and that really shocked me, you know, I thought, wow, this is, and I thought, you know, well, what, what about me? <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I need to, hey, hey, over here, God, over here. Yeah. But to, to see that, like seeing the miracles and, and especially when, when I'm the one praying, I know I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not 
trying to trick some someone else. I'm just praying and trying to love people. And and so you know, to see, I mean, I've there I've seen more blind or mostly blind people get their eyesight restored than I can count. And you know, to the and and so that had a profound effect on me. And and this is where we get to the integration of our careers and our faith. And and that is after seeing all these miracles, I thought, uh, okay, if this is happening and it's so widespread, then why is there so little careful investigation of it? Yeah, you know, because pe people are asking, I think, good questions and hard questions about, well, you say a miracle happened, what evidence do you have? Yeah. And that's a fair question. And the church, I think, for the most part, hasn't done a very thorough job of answering that. Yeah. You know, we we substitute quantity for quality, I think. And that's not to say that people's miracles aren't important and, and real. But in terms of providing evidence to those who are sincerely asking for it, I think the church, has. we've just said, well, we've got lots of testimonies and here's, you know, brother, sister, so-and-so, and they've got this testimony. But I think what we really need is is a few good cases that are thoroughly researched and documented and that show that this person had a condition, it never gets better on its own, and yet they got prayed for and now it's all better. And so anyway, that that got me, it got both of us thinking, well, you know, if no one else is doing this, maybe we should do it. Now, you know, to, to cut back to my healing. So after, basically after a year of traveling around, getting scans, you know, well, getting prayed for and then getting brain scans. And after about a year, it seemed like the things had turned. And whereas initially there wasn't really doubt that this was a tumor, that um, after about a year, they said, doctor said well that's funny it's not growing and it kind of looks like maybe it's you know maybe it's not a tumor maybe there's yeah. not a tumor there and then the last brain scan I had was like seven years after the initial seizure and yeah. the reading came back and they said well it looks like some scar tissue <laughs> and so so I've been fine almost 20 years now um, I never did have surgery chemo or radiation or anything um but I had a lot of prayer, a lot of deliverance ministry, and I've been fine and symptom free for going on 20 years. So, so just so before, that we, was, Kerry, before we go on, so there's a couple of things here. I love this, this emphasis of healing and deliverance. Jesus said, these are evidence of the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, demons are cast out, the sick are healed. Andy, for you, your husband is manifesting a demon as a result of what God spoke to you about, mm -hmm. and you're not seeing an instant healing deliverance. You're on this, you're like on a journey. Um, what, how is that for you? And was there a point at which you're like, okay, he's delivered. How, how did you, yeah. how did you, how do you know when you're free? Oh, well, there was no question about when, when the final deliverance came. So we, um, we got connected up with this kind of closet charismatic uh, prayer group, um, and uh, we had uh, they they kind of ministered to him the first time for about three hours, uh, oh. and then we kind of went and got other ministry. And so we were actually back at that group five months later after yeah. a second uh, kind of battle where uh, he had a second seizure right after we had just prayed for someone who was very oppressed and uh, and. 
So, so we're, uh, I'll, I'll skip some of the story, but we're, we're back at this prayer meeting and Josh was leading worship and he um, slumped over uh, in the middle of a song and it wasn't a good kind of slump over. Uh, and uh, so the, the leader of that group remembered the name from my dream from yeah. five months before and he went after it directly. Uh, and then the manifestations really came and kind of Josh runs off to the bathroom. He's vomiting. The entire building starts smelling like overwhelming sulfur oh kinds gosh. of fumes. Yeah. Like I've never smelled before or since. Uh, and that was the moment of freedom. There was no, no more seizures after that. No more demonic manifestations. That was just freedom. And then uh, he would like all the good Holy Spirit manifestations. Yeah, and so, yeah, yeah. I mean, I still end up watching him like on the floor, uh, on the floor, kind of shaking like he plugged into an electrical line or laughing or um, but and, and and I mean, some of it was just like, I've got to ask him. So tell me about that afterwards, because I mean, it. Uh, I mean, I there there were there were times when the Lord touched me in this, but not really in the same way or with the same kind of drama. Uh, that was true for Josh. So a lot of what I had to do was just decide that I was going to trust that the Lord yeah. kind of had been with us from the outset and was going to carry us through this. And so I just chose to uh, to to have faith and to to wait and to see how this turned out. Well, I just so love this. So for you, then Joshua, I, it's like. You, I'm wrestling with this, you know, Jesus with one word, cast out demons. You, you guys are going through this five-month process, boot camp. You, you, there's a desperation. This is a death sentence. And you're not naive to assume that that's not true. Like you're walking this out. There's this manifest. You're walking all of these things. Everything's being challenged in terms of theology and practice and you're just going after it and refusing to back down and obviously there's a cost and there's a time and there's an input and then effort and at the same time you're praying for others who are getting delivered and healed and then you come to your moment and and boom uh candy talked about soul fulfills the room you get out and you're throwing up what was that like for you well i think the i mean at the time it it didn't I wasn't think all I knew was that I was leading worship and then I sort of found myself slumping over. And then I remember this, uh, you know, group leader coming over and sternly addressing the, the unclean spirit. And, and all I know is at that point, I suddenly had to run to the bathroom and I just about ran and I didn't feel sick. I didn't feel nauseated or anything. I just, urgently had to vomit which basically never happens to me hadn't you know like that's not something that happens so and I remember uh you know after I left the bathroom uh, I walked back and people were like you know what was that smell there was a smell right as you left and I said it wasn't me you know (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) sorry but uh so I guess you know, I'm sort of observing the whole thing, even yeah. though I'm living it. It's not like I'm thinking, oh, yes, this must be, you know, the moment of deliverance. It's like, I don't know. It's just I'm like, just this is what's happening. And so I think that, I mean, I don't know how else to describe it. I think what I found was that, like, the whole time, 
I was tormented by the thought that I would die and, you know, leave behind a family. And, and I, I was desperate. I was praying and fasting and doing everything I could going anywhere I knew to go. And, and I think there's a certain cost to hope. So we had some other friends who are Christians saying, you know, you should, you should really get ready to die well and, and not lose your faith when you die. And, you know, we'll help you get ready to die well. And, and I said, well, I don't want to die, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. And the thing is, if you don't hope for anything, you can't be disappointed. Yeah. And I think that's part of, like, I understand there's a genuine concern among the sort of cessationist crowd that, you know, you don't want to get people's hopes up and then get them disappointed if they don't get healed. But I think, and I think it's, it's a legitimate question, like, do you want to, to persevere? I mean, you see that the people Jesus healed are, the, are often the ones who chased him down, blocked his path, argued with him, you know, like the Syrophoenician woman, and generally wouldn't take no for an answer and made a nuisance of themselves. And, and there's a risk of disappointment in that. Yeah. And I, I basically decided that I was willing to take that risk. Um, because the only other prospect was to die and I was I did not want to leave behind a young family and yeah. so I was willing to sort of pay the price of hoping and and pursuing that miracle and I remember thinking that I would have paid a lot of money just to have five minutes free of that tormenting thought that I was going to die soon and uh, and I think it was really that torment that sort of impelled me forward it was like I have to find God I have to find a miracle and I'll do anything and I'll pay any price and and that's how I ended up traveling the world and seeing all these miracles happen and and so for me it was just like a, a desperation that that drove the whole thing forward yeah, yeah. I, I love that I love this um, there's something about this hunger that moves God um, and I mean, now I can look back and I've ex been able to experience you and now, like I get to benefit because of what you walked through and because of the desperation and the refusal to give up, not only did you get healed and delivered, but you actually gained an authority and an understanding in healing and deliverance to now train others and to minister to others, as well as continuing on in your academic studies as professors in a, in a university. I love that. So for anybody that's not clear on this, one, there was a demon. Two, there was a tumor. God spoke through a dream and ministered and then trained and developed these two to get healed and delivered or delivered and healed. And then, but it wasn't instant. There was, it was a progressive, completely healed. And that's now almost 20 years ago. Right. And then it sparked, this journey sparked for you, and, and it started from, you know, if, if, if God's all-powerful, then where's the power? And then you walk through it yourself, uh, you now experiencing that all around you. And then as, as academics, as professors, as research people, you're like, hang on a moment, why is there not more documented data? Why isn't there more evidence of this? Because I, we're experiencing that right now. The supernatural is real. There is no denial. So what if we do that? And you talked about this integration of your research and your experience, your faith and your practice. And that turned into actually documenting 
medical miracles. Tell us one of those stories that you published and, uh, and what the result of that was. Well, so probably the, I mean, the, the one I would point to is a case of a woman who was 18 and uh, lost her eyesight. Yeah, just uh, she, you know, over the course of, uh, I don't know, weeks or months, just her eyesight uh, went. And so she was blind for 12 years. I learned to walk with a cane, went to the school for the blind, learned to read Braille, all that, and uh, got married, had a kid, had never seen her husband, oh, wow. had never seen her her child. Wow. And she she had, I think they'd gone to Catherine Coleman meeting, and one day shortly after that, they were at home, and, and uh, they were about to go to bed, and the husband prays for her, and and then uh, she opens her eyes after they finish praying and she can see. And oh, wow. uh, and that was over 40 years ago. Her eyesight's yeah. been fine ever since. And so we got all of the medical records. Yeah. And, you know, there's a there's a prominent, you know, nationally known medical center that I won't name that, uh, you know, that had records because they keep everything you know, forever. And so they had records that said she was examined and the examining physician observed uh, visible damage to the back of her eyes that was consistent with wow. juvenile macular degeneration. Yeah. And so she, you know, there was observable damage to the back of her eyes. She was blind. This went on for 12 years. People don't just get better. Even today, there's no really effective treatment for any of the diseases that now fall under the umbrella of juvenile macular degeneration. Once you have it, that's it, you're blind, that's your life. And so after she was healed, we now have photographs of the back of her eyes, which are basically normal, except for some, you know, mild age related um, issues. But uh, there's, there's no good explanation for this. And, and we've debated this publicly now, yeah. you know, where people have said, oh, well, you know, but couldn't have been this or that. And uh, none of the sort of naturalistic accounts seem all that compelling. So, uh, so basically that, that's one example. And we have other examples that we're publishing now, people with genetic diseases who uh, recover miraculously uh, severed spinal or, or at least partially uh, uh, damaged spinal cords yeah uh, another one born with a paralyzed stomach uh, and in all wow. these cases yeah. we have careful medical documentation that the person definitely had this disease and they you know we have the the account of how they were prayed for and the account of how this you know incurable disease totally resolved afterwards and uh, often dramatically like that day, yeah. <laughs> you know, from that day, from that hour, they were fine. And so these are, these are some of the things that we focus on now. So we, about 10 years ago, we found, we helped found a nonprofit research institute, the Global yeah. Medical Research Institute, which you can see at globalmri.org. And uh, globalmri.org. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so if you go to our website, we have freely accessible papers that anyone can download. You can see the evidence for yourself. Uh, we have all the medical records. Uh, you can look at those and see what the doctors said about the case. And 
and so that's that's a lot of what we're doing now and i think that's uh, that's sort of an integration of you know i i mean on the one hand i looked and thought why is nobody documenting this and i thought well, why don't we do it and i thought well you know we're both trained academic researchers i'm a yeah. scientist i know how to do research and so you know why why not us you know let's, let's do it so so i think I, candy really pioneered it with her book uh testing prayer that was published about 10 years ago so that was uh harvard university press and uh candy did a lot of the initial work and that yeah. sort of laid the foundation for uh a, a number of people coming together so we have a uh, another friend who was formerly a professor at Harvard Medical School, and uh, he reached out to us. And a number of us all got together in our dining room about 10 years ago and said, okay, how do we scale Let's this do up? It. And that it was out of that meeting in our dining room that we formed the Global Medical Research Institute. And so we've been documenting miracles. Uh, we're Thank trying to sense. get some randomized controlled clinical trials going now. And I think the, you know, basically what we want to do is is give an honest careful answer to the people who are sincerely asking you say miracles happen through prayer what is the evidence i think it's a good question and i i think we're we're working now to provide honest carefully researched uh peer-reviewed published answers to those questions thank you so so much i love it i mean i'm just having so much fun listening to you guys candy uh, for people that are listening to this, obviously you've got a book. We highlighted the the website. Where else could people? Where would you recommend people go if they say, "I want to learn more about healing and more about deliverance"? I mean, there are a lot of terrific ministries that are out there. I mean, some of the ones that, uh, if I were to recommend just one book on deliverance, it would be uh, Pablo Vitari, Free in Christ. Uh, he's an Argentinian who uh, was the director of deliverance ministries for Carlos Anacondia for many years, and he ministered to Josh personally very early on, and he has some very kind of sound, non-sensational uh, advice. Um, and then uh, I, I, I think there's a lot of great ministries for healing out there. I mean, we personally have been very blessed. Some of the ones would be uh, Randy Clark and Global Awakening, yeah. uh, Mahesh Shabda. Um, I mean, there's Bethel Church in, in Reading. Uh, there's Hub Ministries in Chicago. Uh, basically, any part of the country, Christian Healing Ministries in Jacksonville, Florida, with um, Judith McNutt, uh, widow of Francis McNutt. Uh, so there are a lot of different ministries with different styles. And yeah. I would say that if one style uh, doesn't work for you, then uh, keep looking. Uh, and there are a lot of great books that are out there as well. Yeah. Uh, and so if you want to learn, uh, the resources definitely are available. And you're not the first person to uh, be walking down this path. Others have, have come before. And I love what you said. I mean, the first resource that you went to was the scriptures. Like this is all throughout the scriptures. And if you're hungry, you will actually seek it all out. Uh, tell us, just as we're wrapping up, wh what's your book? Uh, well, I mean, the one that Josh was referencing, uh, Testing Prayer, uh, and, and one of the things that gives an account of is when we we followed around, this was actually Heidi Baker's ministry in Mozambique, and we tested people's vision and hearing before and after prayer and found statistical differences of improvement cool. 
And then we were able to replicate that in Brazil with just kind of ordinary people uh, who are doing the praying. Uh, and you can also see accounts with some before and after medical records of cases from, uh, from the US. You can see accounts of people who we were able to follow 10, 20 years, uh, more than that sometimes after the healing. And so that question, like, does it last? Uh, and, and you can see some stories of where not only did someone keep their healing, but then they were motivated to go out and pray for, for others. And so one of the answers to the question I posed before, like, why is it that charismatic and Pentecostal Christianity is growing on a global scale? It's often through these kinds of ripple effects of one person being touched by Jesus, whose life is just changed forever by that. And then they take the risk to go out and uh, pray for others, even risking the, the potential of, of failure and disappointment. And then other people are touched. And then in turn, uh, they pray for others still. And, and this is where we see kind of Christianity growing uh, really all over the world. Uh, and so there's a lot of encouragement in kind of seeing uh, it's not, not just one case, but there are many, many times when uh, people are experiencing the love and the power of God coming together. I love that. So just in wrapping this up, Joshua and Candy, would you pray, anyone that's listening or watching this right now, would you just pray however you feel led? And uh, and obviously you've already said Global Medical Institute, globalmri.org, they can find out more about you too in terms of that the nonprofit side of things. But uh, just go ahead and let's pray. Yeah. Well, Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and I pray a, a release of a new anointing on each and every person listening. Father in heaven, we ask that you would touch each person with your love, with a fresh revelation of your love, and a fresh revelation of your power. In Jesus' name, I pray for healing of for those who need it, those who are listening. In Jesus' name, I release the healing in the, in the name of Jesus. Lord God, we ask that you would empower, encourage, and raise up your people equipped to, to, to minister in power. Oh, Lord God, you've given each of us opportunities and, and spheres of influence. And I ask that you would take each person listening to the next level in, in ministry and of spreading your love, the love of Jesus uh, to those around. And in Jesus' name, I release healing and declare freedom over every person listening. And we give you the glory, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. And Father, we ask that you would just pour out your Holy Spirit even right now. And Holy Spirit, we we just welcome you. And we ask that you would uh, that you would just show each person uh, if there's uh, just any barrier uh, to walking in complete freedom and in power? Is there any place where uh, we listening uh, have open doors to seek spiritual help apart from you? Would you um, bring conviction? Would you release a, a power to forgive? Lord, where uh, we may have been hurt by individuals, by family, even by the church, would you make us able to forgive? And Lord, would you bring forgiveness where any one of us have uh, ha have looked for help apart from you? Yeah. And Lord, we just ask that you would bring kind of that that power to 
walk in your spirit, if there's any confusion, if there's any weeds that have grown up with the busyness and the anxiety and the cares of this world, would you just renew our first love for you, Lord Jesus? And we just pray that you would silence every voice that is not of you. And we ask that you would open our ears to hear your voice, Lord Jesus, uh, that every person who listens this would bear fruit for your kingdom that will last even 30, 60, and 100 fold. And so we ask for that power and for your presence, Lord Jesus, and we give you the glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.